This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Oh, how many people enjoyed lunch? You guys enjoyed lunch? Oh my goodness. We need a good lunch. Are you feeling sleepy? Anybody feeling sleepy? Oh, wow. I'm like, I must be the only one feeling sleepy. I was like, as soon as I was done with lunch, I went into the evangelism I was like, I'm, uh, room. I was like, I'm just going to take a quick nap, and then all of a sudden, I was getting a call. So when he talked to me, and so, but we will pray for the Spirit of God to be here. Amen. 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 I want to tell you a true story. Believe it or not, but it happened to me. I've told this story many times. Uh, I actually have a weapon um, near my bed, and uh, it's it's kind of interesting. Like, why why do you have a weapon near your bed? Or they're like crazy stuff. You know, people around. No. I have a weapon around my bed because it is a weapon that God has given to me. You're like, really? Yeah, hear the story out. True story. Happened to me. I actually had to teach a Bible class one time. I was pastoring a church. I had to go about an hour away to teach a Bible class to a program called Teen Bible Academy Program. Teach them how to study the Word, how to love the Word of God, how to go deep into the Scriptures, how to have a devotional experience with God. And the very morning I was to take off, I was thinking to myself, man, it would be amazing if I had this, like, sermon illustration in the form of a sword. And the reason I thought about this is because I had a friend who was really into Japanese history, and he told me about this story of samurai who, before going into battle, would spend time, you know, meditating on their sword, studying out every detail of their sword, understanding the weapon that was before them. And so I thought, man, if I just had a sword... This is going to be an amazing illustration. So I went on to Craigslist, and uh, it was about like 8 a.m. at that time, and I was texting people, I was uh, trying to call people, and I was like, hey, I need a sword, I need a sword, I need a sword. And uh, some people who answered were like, yeah, I got a sword, here's a picture, it costs $200. I thought, that's too expensive a sermon illustration for me. So I thought, forget this, forget this idea of a sword. I'm just going to go to the office, pick up a couple books from the church, and then head over an hour away. I get to the church. It was Sunday morning at this time. And I was picking up a couple books when all of a sudden I get this, like, knock on the door. And I'm like, who's here Sunday morning? It's the seventh day I'm in this church. We don't rent out the church to anybody. I opened up the office door, and it was the school janitor that's connected to, school's connected to the church. And he's like, hey, the alarm went off at the school, and I was just blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, uh uh-huh. And while I was talking to him, all of a sudden, I looked down, and in his hand, he was holding a sword. (laughs) A sword. It was about 9 a.m. at this time. And while we were talking, all of a sudden, I stopped talking, and I looked at him, and I'm like, what are you doing with this sword? And he said this, oh, this thing, I just found it. It was in one of the old buildings that no one has been to in our school. And then he says these words. He's like, do you want it? And I said, yes, I would. And I actually opened up the sword. No joke. It had Japanese writing all along the sword. And I got it translated. It's kind of a loose translation, but it says these words. God is with the man who is full of ambition and honor. I mean, how many people can say the Lord gave them a weapon? I know I can. Like I plan to (laughs) sanctimoniously give it to my son under a waterfall one day. But... um, (laughs) 
Anyways, it's just a symbol of just the, the Word of God. And then when I shared it with all those teenagers, their minds were blown away. And then I said to them, but you want to know something? There is a weapon far more powerful than any man-made weapon, and that is the Word of God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Hebrews 4. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, and let's jump into this message. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much again for the Word that speaks life. We thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. God, we come humbly asking for your blessing, encouragement, guidance, direction. Um, and Lord, most of all, that we would see Jesus. That is our prayer, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, let's get started. The name of the sermon is called Abraham's Tombstone. We're going to start off with a question. Here's the question. Anybody know what a bucket list is? What's a bucket list? Yeah, it's things you want to accomplish before you kick the bucket, right? I.e. a bucket list, right? I want to ask you a question. What is something on your bucket list? Make it short and sweet. You're like, yeah, this is on my bucket list. I want to accomplish this or I want to see this happen before I die. Yes. You want to skydive? With the parachute, hopefully, right? <laughs> Amen. You're like, that's the end of the bucket list. All right, yes. You want to swim with dolphins. Okay, very cool. Anybody else? What's on your bucket list? Yes. Run a triathlon. Okay, very cool. Anybody else? Yes. Build an airplane. Okay, I got to do a follow-up question. Like, have you built parts of airplanes before? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> that's, I understand now. All right. Anybody else? Like, you're like, this is on my bucket list. I want to see this happen. Yes. Say it again. You want to visit Mexico one day? Okay, cool. Yeah. You want to write a book? Okay, awesome. Anybody else? What's on your bucket list? You're like, I thought about doing this. Carlos, what's on your mind right now? What's on your bucket list right now? Like one thing you want to accomplish before you die. You're a doctor. Have you thought about death before? <laughs> okay. All right. You want to run a marathon? Okay. Very cool. All right. No, that's cool. Anybody else? Anybody else? You're just like... Raise your hand. What? I can't hear you. Write a screenplay. Okay. Very cool. Yes. That's a good one, actually, right there. Make a bucket list before you kick the bucket. Yes. You want to see a rainbow, eucalyptus tree. So it's a rainbow eucalyptus tree in Hawaii. Okay, good. Anybody else? Very specific, Shana. Yeah, anybody else? You're like, man, I, I love to see this happen. Yes. Do an Iron Man. Okay. Awesome. Anybody else? Yes. You want to do a TED Talk? Okay. Awesome. Very cool. Yes. You want to go to every what? Continent. Even Antarctica? Okay. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well... True story, I actually have this on my bucket list. The one thing I thought about, I'm like, yeah. Look, out of all the different things that I'd love to do, probably one thing I'd love to do before I was kicked the bucket is actually something called running with the bulls. 
And it may be the end of my bucket list, but uh, I just thought, man, wouldn't it be amazing to run with the bulls and uh, not get gored? I, I've watched so many videos of it, right? And every time they have the running with the bulls in Spain, uh, obviously the hospitals get full of people who got gored. But I see people running, and they'll kind of hide against the corner like this. Some people will fall on the ground. And the ones that are brave, you know what they'll do? They'll slow down, let the bulls pass, smack the back of the bull, and then sort of jeer off before the bull turns and tries to gore them. I mean, it's incredible. So what happens is after they run the 1.5 kilometers, I think it is, they get to the entrance of a stadium, and they hold this position. As the bulls are coming, rushing in, they actually try to prevent the bulls from coming in. And the bulls will just come charging in, and you just see the bulls just, just smash right through the people. It's amazing. <laughs> and uh, I just thought, man, this would be so incredible. Actually, last year I watched a video of a guy who decided to do this. He was an NBA player. He actually went running with the bulls, and when they were in the stadium, while they were like around the bull, um, I don't know if there's any people from PETA here. God bless you. We love animals here. But um, what happened is, these, he, this bull was running around trying to gore people. This basketball player, he sort of gets in this position. He runs, and he literally jumps over the bull. And the bull's like looking around, realizing this player, this basketball player just jumped over him. When I saw that, I'm like, that has to be me next. <laughs> and I have to do this soon. So, Anyways, today we're going to be talking about a very interesting message. I feel like God has been sort of bringing this together more and more. It's called Abraham Old and Full of Days. Abraham's Tombstone Old and Full of Days. I want to introduce to you the oldest living person right now on planet Earth. Her name is Kane, not Kanye, <laughs> Kane Tanaka. And she is 116 years old. She is currently the longest living person on Earth right now. And uh, she is somebody that is still very vibrant. She is somebody that is very much a communicator, very much social. She still seems to have the dew of life upon her. And when she turned 100 years old, she thought to herself, what's going to happen next? Interesting enough, they asked her, they said, hey, what is the, the secret to living a very long life? And uh, this is what she says right here. Number one, waking up early. She's usually awake by 6 a.m. and ready to start her day. Number two. She likes to develop her brain. One of the woman's favorite pastime is reading and learning math. And we thought math was useless after high school, right? Apparently not. All right, let's continue. Staying active and sociable. Kane has, uh, Connie has become an expert in board games. She loves playing them with the staff of the rest home she is now staying in. Her favorite game is Othello. Anybody play Othello before? It's a Shakespearean play. I don't know. I've never heard of that game before, but uh, yes. And she loves to eat lots of chocolate. Amen. Seems a little, little faction, chocolate faction over here. Okay. Uh, that's what she loves to do. At the Guinness World, uh, World Record Ceremony, she was given a box of chocolates, and she started eating them right away. When asked how many of them she was going to eat that day, she replied, 100. <laughs> Apparently, she still has a little bit of sense of humor, right? You know, it's very interesting. As some of you are in your, like, you know, late teens or 20s, 30s, maybe 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, if you're anything like me, sometimes I contemplate what's going to happen at the end of my life. There are one of three things that will happen at the end of life. Either you're going to die young, you're going to die old, or you're going to live to see the Lord come. It's one of those three options. There are no other three options other than that. Science has not excelled far enough to keep you alive much longer than 100, if, if that. And so 
you know, oftentimes we're thinking about what the future is going to be like, what the golden years are going to be like, what's it going to be like when we're really, really old, and what is going to be said about us when our life has passed away. It's interesting, when you actually study out the scriptures, the Bible has this recurring phrase that appears over and over and over and over again. And it wasn't until I was sweeping through the Old Testament that I began to see the pattern of this phrase. It's a bit of an oxymoron. Well, what phrase is this? It appears at the end of Abraham's life. And notice what the Bible says right here in Genesis 25, verse 8. And Abraham breathed his last and died in good old age. Now, notice this phrase, old and what? Old and full of days. Now, that phrase is kind of an oxymoron. Why? Because it's a bit contradictory, right? They're old, which means they don't got much life left. But then it says they were full of days. There seems to be this sort of combination of these words describing something at the end of Abraham's life, something that was a description of his condition, his emotional condition, physical condition, his social condition, his spiritual condition. But it's not just at the end of Abraham's life. Notice what the Bible says right here talking about Isaac. Genesis 35 verse 29. Isaac gave up the spirit, died, and was gathered to his people. Notice this. Old and full of days, Esau and Jacob, his sons, buried them. The Bible says this about David. Now David was old and full of days, and he made Solomon his son king over Israel. Continue. Second Chronicles 24, verse 15. And Jehoiada grew old and what? Full of days or full of years, depending on the translation. And he died. He was 130 years old at his death. Right? And then notice what the Bible says about Job right here. So Job what? Died being what? old and full of days. And as we study out the lives, sort of the, the, the last chapter of the lives of many of these patriarchs, we begin to see this very unusual phraseology being used. And the question is, what does it exactly mean? What is this a description of? What kind of condition were their minds in, their spirit in? What does it actually mean? These phrases speak not only to the quantity of life, but notice this, its quality. Although filled with trials, sorrows, and surprises, and confusing providences, their lives were still, what's that next word? Full. The term full of years or days can speak to the satisfaction of walking with God. These individuals having exhausted life's possibilities, drunk it to its fullest, having nothing left to wish for. The concluding descriptions point to a calm close with a settled faith, greater understanding of God's purposes, desires gratified, and an intense, an intense wishes stilled. There was no desperate clinging to life, but a willingness to let go because all that was good and right for them had been attained. Can you say amen to that? However short or long our lives may be, walking with the Lord brings out the fullest and most impactful experience possible. Don't waste your life with the world. It always overpromises and always, always under-delivers. I mean, think about this. If you were to think about your epitaph, the last moment of your life, Sort of a description in the newspaper about the person you are. Wouldn't you want this kind of experience the last few weeks, years, or months of your life? Where there's this uh, settled faith. Where there seems to be this calm repose in God. Where you can look back and you can recognize the providences of God. Where there is no fear of the future. And you look back and you see how God has, through His providences, brought together so many things and blessings for your life, you want to look back and you want to say, praise God for the life 
He has given to me. I am old, but I am still full of days. I can look back at my experience and see the vibrant ways that the Lord has worked powerfully in my life. True story happened to me. I went to my, go visit my friend who's a pastor. And uh, while we were spending a couple days together hanging out, he says to me, he said, hey, uh, we need to go do an anointing. Do you want to join us? I said, sure, why not? So we went to... Uh, uh, this place where the anointing was going to take place. My friend didn't share much details about it. He just said there was going to be an anointing. We walked into the room. There was an old man laying on this hospital bed that had been wheeled into his one-bedroom studio apartment. And he was just there. Have you ever seen somebody in the hospital that looks like this? And you're just wondering, are they dead? And literally when I walked in, I thought to myself, is this guy still alive? What purpose is anointing now? It's not like he's got much left to live, right? So while we were there, we were silent. This guy was just there. His jaw was open. He was just like, his eyes were shut. And the machines were slowly beeping. Beep, beep, beep. Soon there was an elder that walked in. The the other pastor walked in. I'm wondering, when is this anointing going to happen? Finally, this young cardiologist walks in. And my friend Brian says, all right, now we're going to begin the anointing. He puts his hand on the old man. And the old man opened up his eyes and stood up. And he did this. He says, now is a special time for us to come together. He brings the elders together. And this young cardiologist who was in his 30s comes walking into the middle. The anointing was for him, not the old man. And the old man was the one leading out the anointing. And when this old man began to talk, his face shone with his heavenly light. And it was like, he just like, like Jesus touched him. Like he had a resurrection or something. And he was leading out. There was just this energy and vitality there as he was ministering to this man. Here's a guy that's probably got maybe a few days, a weeks left to his life. And in the last few moments of his life, he is somebody that is giving. And life is just there. And we were all just weeping. And it was this tremendous moment where the Spirit of God was present as this old, retired pastor was praying for this young cardiologist who was dealing not with the physical crisis, but with an emotional crisis. He had his whole life before him. He had money to last him the rest of his life. Yet at that very moment, we saw where God was. And we saw where God was very active. And as this old man was praying, it was so powerful when that anointing service was done. I remember when we were all done praying, I had my eyes just open and I just walked out with my friend. We drove home. Nobody was talking to each other. And I was like, what did I just witness? What did I just witness? Here's an old guy that's dying. And here he is. He's giving. Here he is. He's ministering. Here he is. He's happy. And then as soon as the anointing was done, he laid back down and closed his eyes. It was so remarkable, right? Friends, one day we're going to come to that place. As I said before, there's one of three choices. You either die young, you die old, or the Lord comes and you are translated. It's one of those three options. No other three options exist beside that. One day, if you do grow old, you're going to be able to look back rather than looking forward. And you're going to look back at your life. You're going to recognize opportunities. You're going to see moments. You're going to see phases of your experience. You're going to see places you grew, places you did not grow. And you've got to come to the end of that life. 
And you've got to be able to recognize and have no regrets about the life that God gave to you. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's very interesting. We're going to be talking about today the power of investment. Now, why are we talking about investment? Why is that even important? Investment is where you take something small and you invest it into an environment and over time it begins to grow. And the investments we're going to be talking about today are investments that you can put in your life today that when you become middle-aged or when you become older, that this will bear fruit. But guess what? This is not going to just bear fruit until the end of your life. This will bear fruit unto eternity, right? Say, wait a minute, Pastor. Now, wait just a second. Why are we going to invest in anything right now? We don't know if the Lord should come. How are we going to understand these kinds of things? Notice what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. Here's the guarantee about something. When the earth earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night, shall, that S is missing, shall not cease. This was a promise given to Noah that as long as the earth should continue, the harvest process would take place. In other words, when you invest in something that you would see in time fruit of that investment. It is a guarantee from the Word of God that as long as this planet is still standing, the seeds that are planted will bear fruit. Not just for this life, but for life for eternity, right? I love what Ellen White says right here. She says, in the harvest, the seed is multiplied. A single grain of wheat increased by repeated sowings would cover a whole land with golden sheaves. So widespread may be the influence of a single life or even of a single what? Act. So the question is this. What kind of investments should I bring into my life right now? This special sowing time in which will bear fruit later on in life. That will bear a harvest. So I can look back and I can praise God for all the things that have taken place. Today we're going to be talking about investing in your life. A few principles to understand. Number one. You want to commit your ways to God. Can you say amen to that? Absolutely easy to understand. We want to live a life in which God has control and guidance. You know, when you read the story of Noah's Ark, God gave to Noah's Ark the dimensions. He gave him the the size. He gave him the width. He even filled it for Noah. He even told him what materials to use to bind the wood together. But if you were to take that boat to a modern-day boat builder, do you know what he would say? It's the worst boat in the world. You want to know why? There's no oars. There's no engines. There's no sail. But it's the only boat survived. Why? Because God himself was guiding that boat. So a life given to God is a life where God can actually mold and guide and fulfill purposes and plans that he has, right? Number two, we want to be diligent and we want to avoid the quick shortcuts. There's everything in life that's going to tell you, hey, take a shortcut here, take a shortcut here, take a shortcut here, take a shortcut here. Bypass uh, the hard work over here. But in the end, you're going to discover something. That shortcuts end up making you take the road, a different road, and it's going to be a much longer drive. Anybody here crossed the grapevine about a week ago? Yeah, I visited my family down in Orange County. I was born and raised there. And uh, on the way back, I leave usually about 3.30 a.m. to avoid L.A. traffic, because L.A. traffic is always L.A. traffic. And uh, there was snow. There was snow on the grapevine. So I was like, wait a minute, I'll just take the alternate route along the 58. 58 was snowed in. There were semis that were just stuck there. And you know what I did? I pulled over to the side road, took out my GPS, and I began to look at all the alternate roads, the back roads, 
And I was like, I am getting through the grapevine. I'm getting back to Chowtown or Chowchilla. I spent an hour going through the different roads. You know what happened? Every single road led me right back to where I started. There was no other road. And I ended up wasting a lot more time and a lot more gas and a lot more frustration I had that day. When you try to take a shortcut or a detour from the path that God had for you, has for you, it's going to cause trouble in the end and delay things. We want to follow God's plans. Number three, don't fall in love with the first draft of your dream. Can you say amen to that? You want to know why? Because the dreams you have when you're a teenager are going to change when you, become in your, when you get into your 20s. And when you're in your 20s, you're going to have a different dream. It's going to be adjusted when you are in your 30s and when you're 40s. You're going to see this dream change continually. It's going to evolve. So we need to understand that and we need to be open. Hey, look, things may change. The taste that you have now may become a taste, uh, distaste later on. The things you don't like now, you may like later on. Like right now, I'll tell you this. Truth be told, I love veggies now. I actually hated veggies. When I grew up, I hated Indian food. Now I love Indian food. And, and these are things I'm like, wow, I, I never expected that I would love Indian food again. I love Indian food. When I was pastoring a church, all my elders wanted to go to Indian food. Take naps afterwards because it made me feel like I got feed. Anyway, let's keep going. All right. Uh, the last thing is this. Think long-term investments. Think long-term investments. All right, let's get to this. Let's cut the chase. We're going to be talking about investments here. We're talking about five investments that you can make in your life that's going to bear fruit throughout your whole life and especially as you get older. Number one, we're going to be talking about fitness and health. Fitness and health. How many people here study fitness? You study fitness. You're into health. That's kind of your thing. You really enjoy that. You can raise your hand and be a little bit more confident. Like, like a little baby. Maybe, right? I enjoy the study of health. And uh, I love what Ellen White says here. She says something so amazing. You're going to really like this quote right here. She says something powerful. Here it is. Health may be earned. Now notice this. Health may be earned. In other words, there's the kind of health you inherit. You're like, well, I, you know, I grew up healthy. I feel healthy. But then she says, there's another kind of health. And I think she's pointing to this idea of wellness and fitness. Health may be earned by proper habits of life. Notice this. And may be yield, may be, may, may be made to yield interest and what? Compound interest. Does anybody know what in the world she is talking about? What is she saying right here in this quote? Raise your hand if you think you know. You're like, okay, I think I got an idea of what she's talking about here. Jan raise? Okay, go for it. Okay. Anybody else? You have an idea of what you might be talking about? Are you committed to that? You're kind of like not sure? Yes. Sure. What's the implication here, though? True. But there's something else we're missing on this. Yes. Huh? You got to invest in early? What else? So what's her implication about your health? It goes far, it'll go far further than you imagine. In other, in, yeah, in other words, get this. You, you're going to say, wait just a second. Because of these principles, you actually could be in better shape, in better health later on in your life than you were when you were a young person. You're like, what? I know lots of people who are into fitness, and they will tell you, 
I feel better 40 and 50 years old than I ever felt when I was a teenager. And they are just people that look young, that feel young, act young, and they operate in such a way that they are just like, man, you're like, man, this person is like, what is he, like 20 years old? He's like, I'm 50 years old. I'm bench pressing more than I've ever benched before. I'm not 50 years old, but I'm just simply saying this. Based upon her understanding, she says, look, you can yield interest on compound interest. Compound interest is where the interest begins to multiply exponentially. In other words, you can be better in health and wellness than you were when you first started. And it's important to understand this. Now, I can talk about different things. We can talk about plant-based diet. We can talk about good sleep. We can talk about water. We can talk about so many things. But I want to talk about one principle here. One very interesting principle. There's a doctor I really appreciate. His name is Dr. David DeRose. Anybody know who he is? Yeah, he's somebody who's a pastor. He's also a board-certified medical doctor. He's written several books. He's got a book out recently I highly recommend. It's called The Methuselah Factor. Anybody know who Methuselah is? Who's Methuselah? Yeah, he's the longest living person in Scripture who died, right? Right? It's like 960-something years old. Like, nobody has the lifespan, you know, beyond Methuselah. Even he outlived, I think, Adam. And obviously Enoch didn't die, so that doesn't count. And essentially in this book, he hones in on a principle. And I'm going to back this up. And uh, in this principle, hemorrheology, he says this. It deals with the study of the biophysical properties and flow properties of blood. In layman's terms, the science that describes how effectively blood flows throughout the whole body. Nourishing tissues and eliminating waste. In other words, the science of blood flow. You're like, wait just a second. Does it really, really matter? Now take a good look at this. Notice what Ellen White says right here. Perfect health. What kind of health? What kind of health? Okay, what does it depend upon? Upon perfect what? She's not talking about board games here, friends. What is she talking about? Circulation. She's talking about what? Blood flow. She is talking about the science of blood flow. And she says, look, if you have good blood flow, blood fluidity, when you have this, she says, you can have perfect health. This is the secret to good health. In fact, in this book, he hones in on many things that contribute to good blood flow in the human body. You're like, well, what are those things? I paid $10 for this Kindle book. Here they are. Number one, eat more beans. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Eat more beans. There you go. Number two, lessen or cut caffeine completely out. Now, I grew up, obviously, you know, in the Indian culture. And one thing that's very big in the Indian culture is something called chai tea. You ever heard of chai tea? And chai tea is... Um, we're not talking about Starbucks imitation garbage stuff, okay? We're talking about Indian chai tea. And grow up on this, you drink it multiple times a day. My little nieces and nephews, they drink it multiple times a day. And uh, I grew up on this. I drank so much chai tea, but I also noticed that, and you probably picked up on this, that people who drink a lot of caffeine, that when they don't have that caffeine anymore, you know what starts happening? Yeah, they're very dangerous people. Right? I feel bad for baristas in Starbucks that have to deal with people who haven't had their coffee. Why? Because not only has their body adjusted, their moods are adjusted, and now dependent upon this stimulant. Right? And so we don't want to be dependent upon those things. So drink plenty of water. Here they are. Lower sodium options. Resistant exercise. And what they found was quite remarkable. Out of all the resistance exercise, they found uh, something that was contributing to really good blood flow, and it's isometric hand grip. Do you know what isometric hand grip is? It's where you hold a grip, like sort of like a, like a hand exercise grip, and you hold it for a period of time. And just the sustained uh, hold of this grip apparently helped, they saw amazing benefits to the blood 
based upon the isometric hand grip out of all the other exercises, resistance exercises that were being done simply because there's a sustained workout that is taking place. Very remarkable. Focus on healthy fats. Can you name a healthy fat for us? Avocados. Everyone's favorite, right? Avocados, right? Anything else? Coconut. Coconut. What else? Nuts, seeds, you name it, right? Excellent. Sleep well. Get good sunlight during the day and you'll sleep well. Drink lots of water. The use of sauna. By the way, do you know during 9-11 that uh, there were 9-11 uh, medical uh, emergency response uh, professionals that were getting sick and dying, getting all sorts of complications after 9-11. And so something was introduced. It was a detox method which actually did... Uh, incorporated sauna use, dry sauna use, where they were sweating out toxins and the use of niacin to help with blood flow. And some of these firefighters, you know what they were sweating out? Blue powder. Do you know why they were sweating out blue powder? You know what that blue powder was? Fire retardant. Do you know if you go to many different fire stations, you know what you will see now? You will see a dry sauna in their station. Sauna helps with the body to sweat. Helps out sweating, right? What else? Uh, breathing deeply. Breathing dip deeply. Watch for hidden sugar. Eat more green vegetables. Increase magnesium and intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting. By the way, do you know um, it wasn't Kino Body that came up with intermittent fasting, right? You know who was somebody who practiced intermittent fasting? Ellen White. Do you know what her meals were? If you look at the meals at the end part of her life, you know what they were? Her first meal was at 6.30 a.m. and her second meal took place at 1 p.m. 1 p.m. She didn't eat anything else the rest of the day. You know what people were saying about her when she was an old lady? They said that when she walked, she had this sort of skip in her step. <laughs> you've seen some people that were kind of walking, you're like, oh, don't fall. She wasn't like that. She seemed to walk with a little bit of skip in her step. And that's what people actually talked about when her, they're like, man, this woman is amazing. Similar to the description given about Moses, right? His vigor did not dim, right? And they were not feeble in all the camp. Let's continue with this. Career, work, vocation. What are we going to talk about when it comes to this? What kind of investments can you make when it comes to this? You know, I came across this amazing study that was done, actually done by, I think it's Yale or Princeton. I'll remember right here. Princeton. According to a study from Princeton University's Woodrow Wilson School, a salary, get this, around 75000 a year is the benchmark for general happiness. In other words... They did not see an increase of people who were happy after they reached the $75,000 salary mark. This is interesting. Because what they were seeing here was, it wasn't the, you know, all the money you can make in the world is going to make you a happy person. When they interviewed hundreds of people, they found, wait a minute, when you reach about $75,000, there just seems to be this pattern of general happiness. So in a world today that's all about empire building and get all the money that you can make to be millionaires or billionaires and trillionaires, whatever it is, here you have right here, after about 75000 as sort of a general rule that people weren't much happier after that. So you've got to ask yourself the question, wait a minute, what's a good salary for me? What kind of salary would I like to have that is good for my life and it's good for the things that I want to do? Very remarkable. But get this. But no matter how much more the $75,000 people make, they did not report any greater degree of happiness. The study by economist August Dinton and psychologist Daniel Kamen, who won Nobel Prize for Economics, analyzed the responses of 450,000 um, Americans polled by Gallup and Healthways. We're going to be talking about another thing that's very important when it comes to career, and that is getting to the place 
of what? Autonomy. Anybody know what's, what autonomy is? What's autonomy? What's autonomy? Yeah, it's where there's a greater freedom in your workplace. It's where you can actually, actually be a little bit, uh, call the shots a little bit more. And what they found out is that as people progressed in their careers, the greater autonomy that they were given, there was a greater degree of happiness and satisfaction with their work, right? Research shows that when employees are given a freedom associated with autonomy, job satisfaction rises. Now you're like, wait a minute, I get that part. I get the part about like um, just having a greater degree of autonomy, but how in the world do you get to that place? Notice what the Bible says right here in multiple places. We're going to be talking a little bit about diligence and why that's important to invest in regard to work, into your school, and everything else. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. But notice this, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied, the hand of the diligent will rule. Do you know why the hand of the diligent will rule? Even though he's not given a position, do you know why he rules in career settings? The guy that has the research, the guy that has done his homework, the guy that is there on time, the guy that you know, knows what he's doing, is the guy ultimately in charge. It doesn't matter what your position is, but if you have that in your life and in your career, you will see that God will open up sort of a, a greater respect and responsiveness by your peers. You know, I work as the young adult director for my conference. One thing I'm really adamant about doing with all those who, who work with me, I'm very, just very particular about this. Whenever we're done with a certain event, I make sure that I send a full report to the president of the conference. Like literally, the event will end on Sunday, Monday or Tuesday morning, he will get a report. Because I want him to understand how important this is and just sort of to be on like the radar of whatever else he's got planning. You know what he said to me? He said, no, I really appreciate all the reports. Nobody else is sending me reports like this. I'm very particular about these kinds of things because I really believe in the power of diligence. That if you're diligent and you're consistent and you seek to make deadlines. Now, it may make you crazy with time. I'm a little bit crazy with time. I'm constantly looking like, especially when I go to airports. You get me to airports, I'm like agitated until I'm on that plane, you know. And, uh, but I will find like when I'm all about dil diligence, when I'm making sure my ducks are in a row, when I'm making sure like, hey, we're meeting deadlines, we're getting ahead on this kind of stuff, I find that God really blesses and opens up new doors for me. I really want to challenge you to invest in the power of diligence. Let's continue with this. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty, or the guy that's looking for shortcuts, comes to what? What's that next word? Poverty. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. In other words, what he has caught, what he has brought together. He's just sort of taking his time. He's a bit lazy about this. But the diligent man will get what? Precious wealth. Notice the last thing right here. It's really important. Proverbs 22, verse 29. Do you see a man, what? Diligent in his business. I love this next part. He will stand before kings. He shall not stand before unknown men. In other words, the individual who is diligent, who's very careful to cross the T's and dot the I's, somebody who meets deadlines and even tries to beat before those deadlines are in, somebody who's very careful about that, working to impress God more than anybody else, God will place you continually in places to be a powerful witness. He will lead you in your growth, in your career, and in your workplace. Amen? Let's talk a little bit more about wealth and generosity, right? I came across this amazing quote right here. It's going to blow your mind right here about wealth. 
the desire to accumulate wealth, get this, here it is, is an original affection. Whoa! Let's read it one more time. The desire to accumulate wealth is an original affection. An original affection means who put it there? Wait, God put it there? Okay, let's read the rest of the quote. Of our nature implanted there by our heavenly Father for what kind of ends? Noble ends. In fact, if you read the rest of the quote, what she actually says, if you talk to a businessman and you say to him, hey, why do you keep gathering all this money? Why do you keep hoarding this money? She says they will not be able to give you a good answer and they may not understand why they're doing this. Even though they may have a big house, they may have uh, nice you know, uh, modes of transportation, they have all the things they want, but they don't know why they keep wanting to hoard wealth. She actually connects it to this idea that this is something that God had originally put in you, but for the very purpose of bringing about noble things. So if you're somebody like, man, I just have this desire, I want to hoard, we need to refine that and understand what God's purposes are for wealth, right? Now I'm going to share something with you that's obvious. You're like, okay, this is obvious. I am a fanatic of Dave Ramsey. Anybody here a Dave Ramsey fan over here? Oh, can anybody here listen to Dave Ramsey's podcasts and stuff? Okay. Two honest people here, right? Yeah. I love Dave Ramsey. And Dave Ramsey is someone who's a Christian. He is somebody that really believes in biblical principles. And he has helped thousands of people get out of the debt crisis. And essentially what he does, and I, you know, I don't want to go too much into this. He talks about step one, saving $1,000. Step two, paying off debt. Step three, three to six month emergency fund. Step four, invest. Step five, college. Pay off house and give. And uh, I was somebody that had finished up one master's degree. And while I was finishing up another master's degree... I was a bit, uh, it was a bit slow, so I thought to myself, I'm going to take on another master's degree. And while I was doing this, I was really impressed with this thought by God. Do not go into debt. Do not go into debt. Do not go into debt. And everything I kept reading was, do not go into debt. And I needed to continually fund my schooling as I was going through it. And even though I was living like a pauper at that time, I felt impressed by God. Stay out of that. And let me tell you something. I paid off my school... And I just, I got one more class left, but the class is all paid off, and I praise God for that. Because I'm coming out of this thing debt-free. And, uh, you know, I have my degrees, and I don't have any debt in regards to school loans. Now, I understand there's certain circumstances about school loans. Some of the school loans are actually investment, depending upon your career. But if you're somebody that's going to be, like, let's say, somebody a social worker, do not spend two or $300,000 on education. Amen? I mean, a social worker does not make enough... Uh, money to be able to pay off those kinds of loans. You don't need to go to any kind of fancy college. Just go to your local community college and the local university to get financial aid and just get through that thing debt-free. Stay out of debt. Get out of debt. I cannot uh, tell you enough about this. Debt is like slavery. It is something that when it is off your shoulders, you recognize how much of a burden it really was. And so I've told this to all my friends. I said, hey, get out of debt. Whatever it takes, get out of debt. I have a friend, by the way, he is somebody who graduated from Loma Linda, he's a dentist, he's a good friend, and uh, he moved up uh, into Washington, you know what he did? He lived in a one-bedroom apartment and drove this old Acura for about five or six years. And when we went, we had lunch and stuff together, and uh, I stayed at his apartment, I was sleeping on the ground with a, a little sleeping bag, and uh, this guy's a dentist, but he said, you know what? I am throwing all my money at my debt. I'm getting out of this debt as fast as possible. And you know what? When he's got out of his debt, he was free to go do other things and buy a clinic and go from there. So get out of debt. That's extremely important. And as you're kind of weighing out decisions, ask yourself this question. 
What kind of debt am I going to be end, ending with? And can I actually take care of that debt when I'm done with this? Very, very important, right? Let's continue with this right here. This is amazing. The church's top statistician, by the name of David Trim, have examined and statistically verified a conviction by church co-founder Ellen White that prosperity in the homework, get this, depends on generosity in giving mission offerings to foreign fields. What he discovered based upon his research was that when there was an organization, when there was a people group, when there was a church, when there were homes that were more dedicated to giving to foreign fields, that a, for, that a, a special prosperity took place in their home as a result. In other words, you can't outgive God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And uh, what he found, just sort of the analysis of these people over and over again, that when they were giving, that there was no lack from where they're at, and actually there was a prosperity. You know, I had this really interesting circumstance that happened to me. God was trying to teach me a big lesson here. This was the lesson. I had a friend, and uh, he was driving in one of my, uh, you know, I had this other car, and I was driving another vehicle, and while we were driving, the cops pulled him over, and so I pull over, and uh, the cop seems to be talking to him for like 15, 20 minutes. So I get out of the car and I slowly start walking, not to alarm the cop. Uh, and when I came to him, he's like, is this your car? I'm like, yeah, it's my car. He's like, you know this guy has an expired driver's license right now. I should, I should impound your vehicle. And I was like, hey, I'm so sorry. You know, I apologize. I won't let him drive. I'll find somebody else to drive. He's like, okay, I'm going to let you guys off this time. But you need to get your driver's license. He pointed to the guy. And so... I told my friend, like, you were driving with, that ex- with the expired driver's license? He's like, yeah, I just, I, I, no, I checked my driver's license out. And uh, I was a little bit upset. And uh, we were driving, I was driving back, and I had another friend drive the other vehicle. And I was just sort of, I don't call it yelling at him, but uh, speaking very strongly to him about checking up on these kinds of things. And while we're there, he's like, he's like yeah, I haven't checked, the, I should check the DMV. He's like, can we go to the DMV? I'm like, all right, let's go to the DMV. We pulled into the DMV. Wait in line for about an hour and a half. We get to the counter, and the lady at the DMV, she says, all right, he's got penalties for not renewing certain things. The whole cost is going to be $250. And my friend doesn't have $250. He kind of looks at me, and I was like, I ain't helping you. <laughs> we go back to the house, and uh, I go into my room. I have this conviction I need to help this guy out. And finally, I surrendered it. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to help him out, but I'm going to help him out. It's not my problem. I didn't cause this, but I'm going to do it. Went back to the DMV, paid the $250. We stopped by at the church. This is what happened. Walked into my office. There was an envelope right on this same day. Envelope right underneath my door. I opened up. No, no writing on the envelope. Exactly $251. My friend didn't have a cell phone. No one knew about this situation. And I realized right then and there that I couldn't outgive God. God not only paid me that 250, he gave me a dollar for interest. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized something so important that is the power of generosity. You know, I read the story, by the way, of how uh, one of the kings in the Old Testament, when he had this great big feast, he sent everyone home with portions. And I read that, and I did this big conference. I organized this conference together, and I thought to myself, you know, normally we just charge people for the T-shirts at the very end. We're going to do something amazing. We're just getting everyone T-shirts. So we give everyone T-shirts. And I was just following this principle to bless people. And they walked away. They were tagging all over Facebook and social media. This was the best conference ever. And others were just like, this was amazing. And I realized God was blessing as I was giving. 
God was blessing as I was seeking to be generous. God was blessing as I was wanting just to give. And friends, we need to give when it hurts. Amen? That's when real generosity kicks in, is when it hurts. Do you know who gave the biggest offering in this world? Besides Jesus? The woman at the well, or not the woman at the well, the widow's two mites. You're like, wait, she gave two pennies, right? What's the big deal? You know what's going to happen when she gets to heaven one day? She's going to realize that her story of offering has inspired so many tithes and offering calls for 2,000 years that because of that story and Jesus recognizing that story, that many people have been inspired to give when it hurt and when it was hard and out of their abundance, that when you calculate the influence of her act, she is going to have the largest offering ever given in the history of this world. This poor lady, she gave out of her, her poverty. She gave when it hurt. Generosity is so important. Now let me give you the second reason about why generosity is so important. How many people have ever been to an evangelism school before? Raise your hand. Maybe AFCO, Souls, Rise, anything like that. How many people appreciate GYC? Been GYC like GYC? Well, obviously you've been GYC. You're here at GYC, right? Raise your hand if you enjoy GYC. Raise your hand. Yeah, amazing, right? Do you want that stuff to be around when you have kids? I do. I want that stuff around when I have kids. I want to have mission schools available for my kids when they're in their 20s. I want them to be part of conferences that are available to them. You hear what I'm going with this? Your giving today helps ensure a future for your children tomorrow. And that's really crucial. God wants to bless you and bless the future through your giving. Right? Let's continue with this. What else? Faculties. We're going to talk about the mind a little bit. How do you invest in your mind right here? Notice what Ellen White says right here. Upon the right improvement of our what? Time depends our success in acquiring knowledge and mental culture. The cultivation of the intellect need not be prevented by poverty, humble origin, or unfavorable surroundings. Only let the moments be treasured. A few moments here, a few moments there. That might be frittered away in aimless talk. The morning hours so often wasted in bed, she probably had today, on your cell phone. <laughs> right? The time spent in traveling on the trams or railway cars or waiting at the station. The moments of waiting for meals, waiting for those that are tardy and keeping an appointment. If a book were kept at hand, these fragments of time might be, were improved in study, reading, or careful thought. What might not be accomplished? A resolute purpose, a persistent industry, and a careful economy of time will enable men to acquire knowledge and mental discipline which will qualify them for almost any position of influence and usefulness. Can you say amen to that? Careful economy of time. Using your time well. The problem isn't that you're not, you don't have enough time. The problem is that you use it poorly. We use time bad. One thing I really recommend is something that's actually found in the Spirit of Prophecy. She recommends that when you get up, that what you do is you take a piece of paper and you write down all the things that you need to do in that day. I have done this probably about four to five years. I told all the Bible workers to do it. And it is a game changer when it comes to life. Like really that big of a deal? It is such a game changer. Because as you just mark off, each thing that's accomplished, when you come to the end of the day, you realize that you have accomplished actually much more than you were expecting to do. All you need to do is take a piece of paper or use your cell phone into the note app and just write down the list of all the things that you need to accomplish. And when you start doing that, you will see, man, I am just using my time so well and I've accomplished much more, right? She talks about the development of mind. 
So what are a few tips that you can do to develop your mind really well? Number one, good sleep and early riser. Amen? How many people went to sleep yesterday around 10, 30, 11? Okay. How many people did not? Yes, I can see in your eyes. You have more baggage than you came in with. All right, let's continue with this. Good sleep, early riser, right? Isaiah 50. In fact, what's really interesting, this is really important, that obviously the hours that you get to sleep much earlier really help with sort of the regeneration of brain cells, that when this time is actually bypassed, no wonder your brain is a little bit fuzzy the next day, you have a hard time thinking. One day I actually didn't get much sleep, and I thought to myself, I'm going to be so alert, I'm going to be so awake, I'm going to be able to handle any problem that goes my way. I went to work, and I'm like, I'm not going to get tricked by my own failure to sleep last night. I was checking everything twice. Left the conference office after a long day, and I'm like, accomplished everything I wanted to do. The sleep has not affected me. I continued to drive. About half an hour of driving, I realized I was going completely the wrong way. (laughs) And I realized you can't escape a bad night of sleep. No matter how well you think you are, no matter how sharp you think you are, at the end of the day, you can't escape a good night's sleep, right? What else? Books, podcasts, lectures, sermons, very important. Continue to just grow, to think, and ask God to give you a spongy mind to observe, right? What else? Turn off the TV, YouTube, phone, etc. Those things that waste time. Turn those things off, right? And number four, study the subject of health. Now, why would that be important? You're like, I don't have anything to do with health. I'm not really interested in health. It's really interesting when you study out the biology of the human body, physiology, Regardless of where you're at in your sort of uh, forte of taste of studies, there's something special that happens. You become very sharp. You begin to understand sort of the ways of life. I really want to challenge you. Study out the subject of health. It is a subject that will continue just to, to draw you in, and it becomes a way that you can actually reach out to people right now, right? Very interesting. How about this one? Make time for class. You're like, I'm done with school. You still need to educate yourself. I'm somebody that's done with uh, my degrees, but I'm taking classes continually. I've been called a professional student. I don't know if that's sort of like an Indian thing or what. But yeah, I've been called a professional student. I want to keep my mind sharp. I want to be just somebody who's constantly learning. Next year, I, you know, I've been told I'm horrible at photography. Like I've been told, Anel, you're horrible at photography. And if you look at some of my pictures, like, uh, yeah, I, I'm, they're horrible. And I'm still trying to give over, do, get over the grainy photos that you take with, you know, the um, phone. So I've been, you know, I got this camera and I was using it. And I'm like, I don't understand a single thing. I had a friend sit me down. He's like, hey, let's go through this. I'm going to teach you the camera. For an hour, I sat down with him and I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about anymore. So I decided the best way I'm going to learn about this is going to be the slow process of taking a class. So next year, I enrolled in class on photography. And I'm taking a class, just, you know, drive over 20 minutes to college. And one day a week, three hours a, a, a week, I will take this class on photography. I want to get a side hustle of being a wedding photographer. Yeah. Yeah. Now you think I'm joking, but let me tell you something. My friends paid $4,000 for a wedding photographer who was there for about four hours. 4000 And her photography wasn't all that. Anyways, let's continue with this. <laughs> I probably shouldn't. <laughs> it's okay, let's continue with this. All right, here's another one. Eat less, exercise more. Eat less, exercise more. Amen? Eat less, exercise more. Um, In fact, you want to know what's so incredible? Do you know that when uh, uh, Joseph introduced his father to Pharaoh, do you know the first words that came out of Pharaoh's mouth? How old is he? He said, how old are you? 
You're like, wait a minute, how about a greeting? How about a blessing? How about a thanks? How about a, like a welcome? You know why? Because you didn't see senior citizens in Egypt. Jacob was 100 years old at that time, 100 plus years old. And when he saw this, Pharaoh saw this old man with the beard, he was like, the first words the scripture records out of Pharaoh's mouth when Joseph introduced his father to Pharaoh was, how old are you? And what God was trying to communicate through that circumstance is the blessings of following his way. He was trying to shine light into the Egyptian culture, right? Here's another one. Use your circle, uh, social circle to discuss. What do I mean by that? It's very important to have friends that you can talk with, right? Friends that you can discuss with, friends that you can just wrestle over concepts. My Friday nights, I call up two or three of my pastor friends and we talk about our sermons. We talk about the different things we're going to talk about. And as we're talking, engaging about spiritual things, life things, we're learning, we're gleaning from each other. We're picking up lessons. So you are not just dealing with, oh, this is the Holy Spirit working through Anel's mind. You're dealing with, oh, here's the Holy Spirit working through Anel's mind, through my friend Brian's mind, through my friend uh, uh, Andrew's mind, through my friend Godfrey's mind, through my friend Steve's mind. And you're getting the collectiveness of these minds of how the Spirit of God is working through them and bringing that information together. All right. Read wide, read deeply. Devour a chapter of Proverbs. You know how many Proverbs there are? Chapters of Proverbs a day? 31. Yes, there are 31 chapters of Proverbs, one for every day. I've been doing this for about six, seven years now. One chapter of Proverbs every single morning in addition to what I study. Reflect and meditate. Now, this is really cool. Anybody here like the Christmas stories that are found in Scripture? Anybody here? I didn't say Santa Claus, I said Christmas stories, right? Do you know why we have Christmas stories? Do you know why we have a story about Jesus' birth and why we have a story about the wise men? Do you know why we have the story about uh, uh, Simeon and Anna the prophetess? Do you know why there's a story that exists? Do you know why we have a story of Jesus being 12 years old and what happened at the temple at Jerusalem? There's one reason why. Because at the end of each of those experiences, the Bible says this, and Mary pondered all those things in her heart. In other words, as Bible writers were piecing together the gospel stories, when they interviewed Mary, one of the reasons they can actually bring this into the gospel stories is because she took time to actually think, to ponder, to reflect upon the events that were happening, and that when it came to bringing the stories of God together, she remembered these very pivotal moments in the birth of Jesus Christ. So it's very important to take time to reflect, to think, to meditate. And there will be times where you just, it's really important to think about, man, how was my day? How was this event? How was this circumstance? What was this interaction like? How did I sense God speak? What was this message communicating to me? What did I just read? What did I just go through? And when you take time to think, you're also processing. You're piecing together things. And you're starting to see how God's providences are coalescing in your life. Here's what the Bible says in Joel chapter 2. It says this, that God will pour out your spirit upon who? All flesh. Your young men will what? Have visions. They're looking forward. And the old men will what? Have dreams. They're looking back, right? The Spirit of God will use memories in the ways that God has worked in the past. And when we recognize these things, we have nothing to fear for the future. These men that died old and full of days took time to meditate and to think. And as they recounted the providences of God in their life, when they were looking at what laid before them, with death coming around the corner, they had no fear because of the way that God had led them in their history. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And we're coming down to close. Notice what the Bible says. Notice what Ellen White says right here. She says this. Sickness of the mind prevails everywhere. Sickness of the what? Mind. Notice this. Nine-tenths of diseases. That's 90% from which men suffer have their foundation here. She's not talking about mental illness. What she is saying right here is this. 
that because of our emotional, mental state, it actually can create conditions in our body that bring about diseases in our body. In other words, these things actually have a root cause in the way we think and the way we feel. When we're younger, we have this sort of strong buffer system, buffering system that prevents us from getting sick by going through bad times. But as you get older, the systems change. And you can go through stressful times, you can go through worrisome times, and you will find your body react even more. Why? Because that buffering system is beginning to diminish as you get older. So what's important for us to recognize? Notice what she says right here. Gratitude, rejoicing, benevolence, trust in God's love and care. Notice this. These are health's greatest safeguards. To the Israelites, they were the very keynote of life. Well, what's that? What kind of attitude are we talking about here? Gratitude. What's gratitude? Anybody know? Yeah. Thankfulness, right? Right? And it's not always happiness that leads us to gratitude. It's gratitude that often leads us to happiness. Rejoicing, right? Taking time to praise God, to be happy. Benevolence, love, trust in God's love and care. And reminding yourself of these things each and every day will help you to combat the stresses that exist in this life. Because as you get older, more and more these stresses are going to intensify and your body has to deal with these kinds of stressors. But having this mindset is extremely important. And the last thing right here, investment. Talked about investing in your generosity, your work, your finances, your health, friendship and family, right? Your tribe determines your vibe. So here it is. Notice what the Bible says right here about Moses. 120 years when he died, his eye was, un, was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And I love the translation at the very end. Young's little translation says this. And Moses is a son of 120 years when he dieth. His eye hath not become dim, nor has his moisture fled. What a remarkable way describing um, the end of Moses' life. There wasn't this like decrepit old man that was just like, oh, where am I? Uh, Moses still had stamina. He still had energy. There was vitality in his life. And when he was called to walk up that lonely mountain and not come back down, he was somebody that walked bravely and courageously. You saw Moses' life. And you saw the man that had was old, but yet full of days. Full of days in his experience, right? There's something special about Moses. He had two people who were with him, right? It was his brother, and it was his sister. And then he had the camp of Israel and Joshua. Researchers examined data from 7,500 American volunteers in the 60s and 70s. These questionnaires asked about strain within relationships, among other questions. It turned out that people who experienced strain with friendships were most likely to suffer from chronic illnesses like diabetes, heart disease, and uh, just all sorts of mental health problems. Notice what it says at the very end. Strain with family surprisingly wasn't tied to more illness. But the older you become, the more important it is to have strong friendships. You're happier and healthier when they are happy, and you're more likely to be sick when you don't value friendship or your friendships are in trouble. This is interesting. For nine years, experts have been examining superagers, men and women over the age of 80, whose memory are as good or better than people 20 or 30 years younger. Researchers asked 31 superagers and 19 cognitively normal older adults to fill out a 42-item questionnaire about their psychological well-being. The superagers stood out in one area. What area was that? The degree to which they reported having satisfying, warm, trusting relationships. 
The finding is consistent with other research, research linking positive relationships to a reduced risk of cognitive decline, mild cognitive, cognitive impairment, and dementia. In other words, in other areas, such as having a purpose in life or retaining autonomy, they were more, more, much more like their normal peers. Here we see such a powerful investment, and that is the investment of relationships, about friends, uh, the people around them, the people who are going to uh, grow old with you, people who, who won't judge you, people who will hear you out, people who you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death with, people who you have met on the battlefield of life and have not turned around, people who are good and loyal friends. It's these kinds of relationships that speaks life. And people like David, people like Abraham, people like Isaac, people like Job could look back and see the relationships that existed in their life, especially towards the last part of their life, and they could praise God and yet be old and full of days. But the investment into relationships doesn't start then when circumstances have changed. It starts today. Investing in your friendships. Investing in the relationships around you. Investing in, in people you might not have actually been really investing in. Perhaps you've diminished that and now maybe this is a call. I need to spend more time with this person. And as you do, you will find sort of a vitality in your own experience. If you have a goal and are frustrated in reaching it, use the stumble rule. Here it is. You are not involved, enough involved with activities with people who share your goal as a value. Friends work together towards a goal. You know, I love the story of Joshua and Caleb when they came back out of spying out the Holy Land. They stood together. They seemed to just sort of feed off each other's energy. And you know what? They were determined to go into the Holy Land and they did 40 years later. And do you know what the Bible says about Caleb as an old man? He told Joshua, I want you to give me the place of Machpelah. Do you know what was in Machpelah? Yeah, it was where all the giants were concentrated. Do you know why that's so interesting? It was also the place that Abraham was buried. The devil essentially set up all these giants as sort of an intimidation to people who would believe in the promise of Abraham to be a great nation. And so Caleb, Caleb being a man of faith said, my strength was just as much as it was when I first came here 40 years ago as it is today. Give me that mountain. And I love how he inspired uh, people to go up that mountain. He said, look, whoever marries, whoever conquers the giants will marry my wife. Or not my wife, my daughter. <laughs> you get where I'm going with this. All right, let's continue with this, right? Every act, every word is a seed that will bear fruit. This is the sowing of good and evil. No, no, sis. And goes on for time and eternity. The seeds that you plant in here, not only bear fruit later on in your life, the golden years, but throughout eternity. One million years, you're going to recognize the power of a seed, right? Two billion years into the future, you're going to realize that the seeds were planted during your experience here still continue to bear fruit throughout eternity and do not stop. Can you say amen to that? This morning as I was piecing together the final parts of this, the Lord really impressed me with this verse. And we end with this. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. 
While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain, and the mourners go about the streets. In other words, as you age, you're going to be confronted by things that are going to happen. Chiefly, people around you you love dying. You're going to deal with just your body all of a sudden betraying you. You're going to be dealing with all sorts of things, but the mindset you have and you invest in today will allow you to tackle those things that when that time comes, if the Lord has not come back, you will die old and full of days still giving and still being full of life. Remember your Creator before the silver cord is loose, the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well, then the dust shall return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God, or the breath will return to God. Forgive it. God wants to bless us with a full life. Amen? And with this story, I went to India, I think it was about six years ago. And when I went to India, I went into one of the shops and I uh, was looking for just this Indian suit. And when I was there, I saw the way that the saris were being made. Very beautiful. And in this, in this amazing just moment, I saw this, this design of a sari come flowing out of where the mechanism was that was producing the sari. And there was a father who was sitting on a stool at the top. And at the bottom was his son. And his son was just putting the threading where it needed to go. But his eyes were upon his father. And the father had the design in his mind, but the son was just looking at the father. And when the father would go this way, the son would go this way. When he would go this way, he would go this way. And as the son followed the directions of the father, this beautiful sari design began to come out. You see, the design of the sari was not in the mind of the son. It was in the mind of the father. But as long as the son paid attention to the father and watched for the direction and guidance, this beautiful life, this beautiful picture was being made. And that's what he wants to do for each one of us. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much. We have engulf so much information. But Lord, whatever is good, whatever is necessary, whatever is practical, we pray that we would apply it to our life and receive the promised blessings that you have for us. God, if we should come to the end of our life as old people, may our hearts be full. May we be able to look back and praise you for the way we led. May we see the investments of good decisions today. And Lord, may we have no fear of what comes afterwards. Thank you again for being with us, Lord, today and blessing us in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.